I told my son today, if I were to give this message in Germany during the 1930s, or in China today, or or maybe America in a few years, I would be arrested. Now listen, this is not my goal to be arrested. My goal is to inform the church and others not to follow blindly and to remember this nation was founded on freedom and there is always a cost to freedom. So tonight, we're going to look at a topic. It's on the screen for you. Civil disobedience. Biblical or not. We posted this on Instagram and Facebook. We, we wanted everybody to retreat, tweet, or send it out. And those of you who didn't, you're sinning. We'll repent later. <laughs> but I encourage you that if this message doesn't get banned on YouTube that you do send it out. And you send it out to people you know to be Christians who are not getting the information that they ought in their church. Now, before I get into it, I want to read to you a couple of quotes that I think really define the time in which we live in. By the way, I'm going to say this right in the beginning. We may go a wee bit long tonight, just so you know. So don't you know, once you've fallen out of the sleep, uh, out of your chair asleep, you can't blame me. I warned you. I even warned children's ministry in the back. I said, get the snacks. Get them ready. I want to read to you a couple of quotes from George Orwell. Not a believer at all, but he could see what was going on in his day reading after, uh, uh, writing uh, during World War I and World War II. He said, in a time of deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. By the way, make sure that is seen over the internet, please. Change the slides. Thank you. So they could see it. In a time of deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. I might add that will get you banned from YouTube or Facebook or Twitter. The most effective way to destroy people is to deny and obliterate their own understanding of their own history. Amen? Now, if you've ever read 1984, they have this doublespeak that that George Orwell mentions, and he says doublethink or doublespeak means the power of holding two contrary uh, uh, beliefs in one's mind simultaneously and accepting them both. I'm pretty sure we live in that world right now. That people are able to hold two contradictory ideas in their mind. If liberty means anything at all, it means the right to tell people what they do not want to hear. Boy, that is a great quote. And a people, I just put this one at the end because it was fun. A people that elect corrupt politicians, imposters, thieves, and traitors are not victims, but accomplices. (laughs) Whoa, calm down. We got a long way. If you get way too excited in the beginning, wow. Let's open up to Titus chapter 3. And this is where we launch tonight. 
Titus 3, picking it up in verse 1, and verse 1 only. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. We are to be under, as we will see, their authority, be it a government or king. Remember, Paul was writing in the day of Caesar's. Paul also gives those governments their parameters. The reason why I am doing what I am doing tonight is because there are a lot of Christians who do not understand the Bible. They quote something. We're going to talk about this. Government officials quote the Bible. Doesn't mean they know it or know the context of it. That is my role tonight so that we would have a clearer understanding of really what not only Paul, but Peter was trying to tell the early church. So, Paul gave these governments their parameters that they were to follow. Turn with me now, and by the way, we're done with (laughs) Titus. That's it. The rest of the night, we're going to do some Bible uh, gymnastics. So, let's turn to Romans chapter 13. I have these all listed and ready to go for us. Romans 13, and these are the sections, by the way, that people are quoting right now, right? They're quoting Titus, they're quoting Peter, and they're quoting Romans. Romans 13 says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist bring judgment. Notice, on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to do good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but because of conscience or a good testimony. For because of this, you should pay taxes. Oh, Paul. (laughs) Yikes. For they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their, they are due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs are due, fear whom fear, honor to whom honor. Now, that was, I read that in the, the New King James. Let me read it to you in the New Living. Everyone must submit to the governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against the authority is rebelling against God, who has, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who do right. You, You hear that? Let me keep going. But in those who are doing wrong, would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent 
for your, here it is, good. It's also translated righteousness or right on living. I want you to remember that. We're going to come back to that. But if you're doing wrong, of course (laughs) you will be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. For they are God's servants, sent for this very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. Remember that again. Do you hear what Paul's doing? Maybe not. We'll put it together. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay taxes to them, yes. For the same reason, for government workers need to be paid. I love the new living there. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone whom you owe, pay taxes to the government, pay government fees to those who collect them, and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Now, Peter also mentions this and talks about this, so let's turn over to 1 Peter 2.13, and and I'll put it together for you here in a little bit. 1 Peter 2.13. For the Lord's sake... Oh, let me switch versions. Therefore, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to, whether to the king as supreme or to governors or those who are sent by him. Notice, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do what? Good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Everybody got that? Okay, here we go. (laughs) So, the world in which we are living in, non-believers and even believers are telling us and quoting these very verses to us. They tell us that we must obey the government at any cost. They say, look, that's what the Bible says. How many of you have heard that recently? Maybe you've seen that in somebody's post. Oh, the posts, those comments. The problem is that a whole lot of people inside of the church, even pastors, don't know their Bibles or even the context of the passage they are quoting. You know it's bad when the world tries to quote the Bible to you. They don't even believe it. Remember, Satan did this to Jesus, and he misquoted the Bible, and he took it out of context. These passages in Romans and in Peter and Titus must be viewed in context and an understanding of the times as well as who the writer was and who he was writing to. Now listen, Rome, as bad as it was, prided itself on the rule of law. Maybe you don't understand that. Maybe you've never heard that before. Rome prided themselves on the rule of law. Why do you think the men who beat Paul when he told them that he was a Roman citizen, when they freaked out? Remember that? They're like, oh. You know why? Because it prided itself on the rule of law. Therefore, you could count 
on, shockingly, the Roman government system of justice. When Paul appealed to Caesar, what happened? Immediately, he was granted that, and he was put on a ship paid for by the Roman government and headed to Rome. They took it very seriously. Like Paul, again, he had no problem bringing his case before the Roman government because he knew that he could be heard by them. I I think that we think sometimes that the Roman government or the Greek world, it was just a barbarian world. It, it, It wasn't. Oh, yes, it was brutal. If you came against Rome, oh, that was bad. But if you were a Roman citizen like Paul the Apostle, there was built-in safeguards for you. You know what? We can't say that today. We have laws in the First Amendment that are being ignored. So what do we do? Paul said that the government's role was to promote good and punish evil. Remember how I started the message by said that the governments had a parameter in which they were to operate in? That's the parameter. If a government does not promote good, and yet, as we will see in a minute, promotes evil, then what do we do? You see, you have to know the context of the writer and who is he writing it and in the day in which he is writing it. You can't just make a statement that as believers we must obey the government at all costs. That is ignorance. Hence, as we will see, that's how a lot of Christians die and a lot of bad testimonies. So what happens? When they don't do that, when a government does not promote good and punish evil, what do we do? What do we do when a government promotes evil and passes laws that promote evil and passes law that persecutes good people? What if it's flipped? What do we do? Do we still obey it? Well, it would seem to me that that's not what Paul is saying at all. Paul and Peter have a certain parameter in which God had set them up. And I want you to think of it this way, that God gives every government the ability to obey him and his law. And when they choose to not, God can oftentimes remove his blessing in his hand away from that government. Everybody see that? But we read what the role of government is for. It is to promote the well-being and the good and to not let criminals out of jail. To not set laws that say abortion is now legal. Now, if I were to hear some Christians today speaking on what we're talking about eventually, we'll get to COVID, (laughs) then apparently we're all supposed to believe that abortion is right based on their logic of today. Do you see where I'm going with this? By the way, I'm the only one sweating up here. So So when they are not doing what God has ordained them to do or uh, be in their God-ordained mandate, 
which allows then for us as believers, as I will demonstrate tonight, not to comply. When any government violates God's law, we must disobey that government. Now, do you know why I could be arrested? I will prove it to you from words during World War II in Nazi Germany. When any government violates God's law, we must disobey that government. Let me give you tonight three biblical examples. Notice, all had laws or mandates passed by governments or rulers. I want everybody to hear that. What did I just say? These three examples I'm going to give from God's word, all of them had a law or a mandate passed down. And let's see the response from God's people. First one's going to be in Exodus chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Where is that in my list here? There it is. Exodus chapter 1, just leave that slide up for a while, please. And then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives. You know who they are. They're the ones who help give birth. Of whom the names of one was Shiprath, and the other was Puah. And he said to them, when you do your duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on their birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill them. But if it's a daughter, then you shall let it live. I want you to underline this. But the midwives feared God. I'm going to pause. Probably, I have lots of notes, and I'm going to try to really do my best to stick with them. But I would tell you today what I see is not a lot of Christians fearing God. They're fearing government and man and not God. These three examples, as we will see, are three examples of people that feared God and not man. And they did not, please underline that, they were disobedient to the king. Civil disobedience. They were disobedient to the king of Egypt and what he had commanded them. But saved the male children's alive. And so the king called the midwives and said to them, what have you, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children's alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are lively, and they give birth before the midwives could come. Now, I am not going to debate whether or not they are telling the truth or not. That is not what I want to do tonight. <laughs> is it okay to lie to a government official? I'm not going there tonight. Notice, because please hear this next verse. Therefore, God dealt well. I want to say it this way. God was well pleased with the faithfulness of the midwives who just practiced civil disobedience. Everybody see that? Wonderful, isn't it? Encouraging? Oh, two more. 
Daniel chapter 6. Very well known. I'm going to try to do my best to condense it for us because of our time tonight. But I'm not sure I will be able to do that through Daniel chapter 6 verse 1. It pleased Darius to set him, that's Daniel, over the kingdom of 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. Darius now makes Daniel a super leader, right? He becomes like the speaker of the house. He has a lot of authority. And those over over the three governors of whom Daniel was one and the satraps might give an account to them. And so the king would suffer no loss. Well, then Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps. Notice because an excellent spirit was upon him. He was a follower of Christ. That's what we would say today, right? He was well-pleasing to God. He had an excellent spirit that was in him, and the king gave him, uh, though to set him over the whole realm. So now he's like making him second in command. Don't you love that? Who else was like that? Joseph, remember? And God blessed him immensely because of it. (laughs) Now, I, I just love this. So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdoms, but they could not find any charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. And then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning, please note with me, the law of God. So what did they go after? His faith. The only way we can take this guy out is go after his faith. Does that kind of sound like today yet? Well, we'll get to that. So the governors and the satraps thronged before the king and said to him, King Darius, live forever. You know there's something wrong when a bunch of guys run into you and tell you how good you are. It's like ding, 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 that's a red flag. And so the governors, they, they came before him in verse 7, and, and all the governors in the kingdom and the, the administrator. How much is all? All of them. All of Congress. Can you imagine that? Having one senator or one congressman being like Daniel and the rest of them coming? All of them were against? I don't know about you, not to go off here, but there is a theme through the Bible. And the theme is that it's usually one person that stands up. It is usually that one person who stands up in the midst of their generation and says, that's not going to happen. Ezra, Nehemiah, these are all examples of that. We're going to see what our place is today as well. Well, they consulted everybody. They had a confab to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree, a law, or a mandate, I want to apply it to today, to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, notice how they play into the pride of Darius. Real easy to do with politicians. It's very easy to do with politicians or anybody else that's in a position of power. 
O king, they shall be cast in the den of lions. They've already got the punishment. It's a capital offense, listen, to pray. That's what they just said. Well, I don't know what I've been reading on the internet and people saying that we should just obey the government. We as good, good little believers, should, what, we should just do whatever they say. Let's see what Daniel did. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it, notice please with me, it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians which does not alter. It was unusual. The law of the Medes and the Persians, they were different than any other group. If you made a law like in Egypt and then you realize, oh, that was stupid, you could just tear it up. Not with the Medes and the Persians. You could not undo it. And so, (laughs) what do you think they do? Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, He went home. I want to encourage you that this is your home. When the government does something against us, this is the house of God. This is your home. So he went home, (laughs) and he was in his upper room, With the window open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day. And he prayed and he gave thanks before God as, please note with me, as custom since early days. I want you to note something from that verse. It is this, Daniel didn't do anything more or less than he did before. He just did what he usually did. All we're asking is that we are allowed to do. I want you to note that. He didn't get riled up. He didn't have a protest march. This goes against what Paul says, to live a quiet and peaceable life. I think as believers, sometimes we do the dumbest things. Well, not me, but some of you. So he does what he normally does. Please note with me, verse 11. Who's right outside? (laughs) Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying. I want to know how they saw Daniel praying when he was up on the upper floor. Were they on the roof? Spying? Were there drones? Was Alexa listening? I mean, I jest and I joke, but do you understand the seriousness of the world in which we live in? Your phones are listening to every single word that comes through that speaker and microphone they're recording every single thing don't be fooled there are people watching and there are government officials watching and they're watching what we're doing and what they're doing in california they don't know what to do with them in california because like a bully when you stand up to it sometimes the bully doesn't know what to do so they have to regroup Well, they haven't met us yet. Well, anybody know what's going to happen next? Oh, they kept it silent to themselves. No. So they saw Daniel praying and making supplication before his God, and they went before the king because they're tattletales. 
And they spoke concerning the king's decree. And they said, Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, This thing is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Yeah, you guys are telling the truth. And so they answered before the king and said, That Daniel, please note with me, that Daniel. It's called identity politics. You think that's new? It's not new. They just set him aside and said, That group, that Daniel, those Christians are causing COVID. Oh, I'll get into that. Do you see that? That Daniel. Who is one of the captives from Judah. By the way, that's putting him down. I'm not going to say it's a racial slur, but they're bigots. Because he's of a different race. I thought all of these progressives were great and loving. And tolerant of everybody, right? Does anybody hear me being a little facetious? Just in case it's not clear for the video or the radio station. And so, that Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah does not show due regard for you, O king, or the decree that you have signed, but makes his petitions three times a day. Note with me that they say, does not show due regard for you, O king. Is that true? This wasn't true at all. Daniel intended no disrespect for the king, only a higher respect for God. This is what you're going to hear. If this continues, you will hear us being called unpatriotic, when in fact that is not true at all, is it? By the way, I wanna, I'm going to perk you up at the end. But I want you to walk through the valley right now because it's really happening. They're about to call us unpatriotic. They're already doing it. They're already blaming Christians, not Muslims, not Hindus, not Jews, Christians. This is how they see us not bowing to the government and its laws that for us we know are overreaching and designed to get Christians to conform to their will and not God's will. They cannot understand why we would listen to God over them. They cannot understand that. And so they will intimidate us or try to by their laws and mandates and threats and say that we are not righteous and pure and we are not loving our neighbor. Well, when the king heard these words, verse 14, he was greatly displeased with himself, and he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Now, I actually appreciate this politician because he realizes he didn't blame anybody else but himself. He knew the blame was solely upon him he didn't get all the information that he was supposed to. You know those bills that get passed, those bills that they say we got to pass them to know what's in them? When was the last time you heard a politician come out and say what Darius said? Never. 
oh, I might get a little unchristian tonight, but I'll repent tomorrow. No, I, my goal is not to be heated. It's to show the fallacy of the arguments tonight. We are living in the insane asylum, and the inmates are running the show. <laughs> Let me have some water and calm down. Do you know why the king was bummed out? Because he was friends with Daniel. And I'm going to leave it there. Now, if you know the rest of the historical account, they throw Daniel in the lion's den. And, but the Lord supernaturally, by his grace and mercy, kept the lions from eating Daniel. Maybe Daniel was petting them and using a stick and playing with them. They're just big kitties. And the next day, what happens? The men go open to up go open to open it up and the lions jump out and eat the other guys. I love God. <laughs> it's like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego a couple of chapters before how the fighter leaps out and takes the guards. All right, let's do the last one. Acts chapter 3 and 4. Now, Peter and John... Well, we're after Acts 2. Did that make sense? 3 comes after 2. The Holy Spirit has been poured upon the church. They have been filled with the Holy Spirit, the power, the dunamis power to be able to do signs and wonders for their day. Uh, when the Holy Spirit allows them to do that, and so they go up on the temple there to pray. Notice verse 1 at the 3 o'clock prayer service, right? So they go up there to pray. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom he laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful to ask alms for those who enter the temple. On Sunday, we briefly talked about this. And at the end of chapter 4, we see that he is over 40 years, which means it says from his mother's womb, he has been begging for over 40 years that are on the temple. How many times did Jesus go by this man? A lot. At least three times a year since he was 12. Never healed him. Well, that's cruel. That's what people say. If you believe in this loving God, why didn't he heal him? Well, because he wanted a bunch of hicks to do it. Let's keep going. So Peter and John, they saw. They saw him. But the man was asking for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John and Peter... And he said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he does. Later on in the Roman Catholic Church, I don't know what year it was, maybe 1,100, 1,200, two priests were walking together. And they saw a, a lame man there, and they remembered this account in the Bible. And they looked at each other, and one of them said, you know, it's interesting, now we do have gold and silver, and we can hand it over to this lame man. And the other priest said, yeah, but we can't tell him, because we don't have the power to tell him to rise up and walk. 
We might have the money, but we no longer have the authority. Well, this whole chapter is just a hubbub of what's going on and people in the temple. And because he has been there for 40 years, everybody knows who he is. Fast forward into the next chapter. Notice in verse 1, it says, Now they spoke to the people, the priests, the captains, the temples, the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They laid hands on them and put them into custody until the next day, for it had already been evening. This is Peter and John. Notice, however, many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men that came was about 5,000. So healing this lame man that Jesus waited so two men of his could heal him was a greater miracle than what Jesus could do. He allowed these two men to do it. Then they preached in the temple and 5,000 people got saved. Well, it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, the elders, and the scribes, please note with me, Government officials, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and many as were of the family of the high priest, they were all gathered together at Jerusalem, and when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, to which I, that we already read that Jesus would say, would happen. Remember, he said, don't worry when they bring you before the government officials and the magistrates because on that moment, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and you will know what to say at that hour. It's being fulfilled right here. So Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and the elders of Israel, for we this day are judged for a good deed done to this helpless man. By what means he has been made well? Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and I don't know if this was the Holy Spirit or not, but he got it in anyway, whom you crucified, just to get that in there, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you all. This is the stone, and I love how Peter quotes this. He quotes the Old Testament to the religious leaders. He says, the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other. Everybody understand that? What did Pete just say? You cannot get to heaven unless it is by Jesus. Well, what about all those people that say all the roads lead to God? No, it doesn't. There is one way and one way only. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we would be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were, (laughs) it didn't take them a whole lot to figure this out, uneducated and untrained. And they marveled. And they had realized they had been with Jesus. What a great testimony that is, by the way. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could not say anything against them. But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred amongst themselves. (laughs) They had a meeting 
to see what kind of law they were about to pass. And saying, what shall we do with these men? For indeed, notice, that a notable miracle has been done through them. It's next verse that all the religious leaders repented, came to Peter and said, what must we do to be saved? Did they do that? No. But so that it spreads no further. Let me... um, so that we wouldn't lose our power over everyone else. Let us severely threaten them. Let's put a mandate on them. And that from now on, they speak no more in this man's name. And so they, and I highlighted this, so please do the same. They commanded, and I want to make that point, they just made a law or a mandate. These are the religious leaders. These are the officials. So they just passed a law that they should not speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. What should they do now? Should they do as some say on the internet and some churches that aren't even open today? We just do what the man says? We follow what Washington says? or what California says, or Michigan? Do we just follow what they say? Or do we do what Peter says? Get your highlighters out. And Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. You know what they just said? We ain't doing what you said. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And I, <laughs> I love this. And so when they had further threatened them, I don't know how you threaten them either, even more. Like, we'll pass another law. Do it. And that seemed kind of funny. See what happened when a bully got stood up to? Do you see that? Well, we'll just threaten you some more. We'll bring you before another judge. We'll write another mandate. You better not do it, or we'll say, don't do it again. That's what they just said. By the way, we have to laugh at all that's going on, or I will go crazy, and you will go crazy. So we have to laugh at the insanity. Amen? Amen. Or... Woo! Or we're passing out Kool-Aid next week. No, just stop. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go. Notice, finding no way of punishing them, they couldn't figure out what to do with them. Isn't that interesting? Notice, because of the people, since they all glorified God for what they had done, This is not in my notes, but I want to get this out. The reason why things are done the way that they are done is so that the general populace doesn't know what's going on. They have no idea what's going on because if they did, they would be just as outraged as this group of people was. But because everything's done in secret. Uh, Rob, in Ventura County, 
the county council is having closed door meetings about the church. Why? Because they're afraid of the people. Do you see that? Why in the world would you have a close? I have a problem. This is just a sidebar over here. Come over here with me. I have a problem with secret congressional meetings. I think they should all be allowed, and I think there should be cameras in every single one of them. Every single one of them. As to be, well, we the people of the United States of America. I have a real problem with secrecy in our nation. For a long time, we keep things from people. Why? Well, because it's biblical. It's right here. They were afraid of the people. Please note with me, for this man was over 40 years old, on whom the miracle of healing was performed. And I just want to briefly mention this next part. And being let go, they went to their own companions. They went back to church and reported all that the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard this, they raised their voice to God and with one accord. You see that? With one accord. And said, Lord, you are God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the mouth of your servant David said, why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? And the kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed, the Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word, that they would post and repost the truth That's the medium we have today, church. By strengthening or stretching out your hand to heal and the signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken because they were in California. You'll get that on the way home. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. They weren't afraid of the government. They weren't afraid of the threats of the Sanhedrin and the religious community. Probably the principal similarity has to do with religious freedom. In Bonhoeffer's day, this is World War II, before his very eyes, a robust Christian nation had swiftly secularized by a powerful government. They were moved in this way. The church was divided and didn't know what to make of it. And they didn't respond as they should have. And so the church was overwhelmed by the state for all intents purposes eventually ceased to exist. What resulted from that, among other things, was the Holocaust. What might result from such a thing here in America is unknown. But we should all agree that the slightest movement in that awful direction is a cause for alarm. This much we do know, nothing good can come from it. You see, this great experiment in freedom called the United States of America is not something that is self-sustaining, our founding father said. 
Freedom is not our natural condition. It is highly fragile and must be defended in every generation. This is from a book by Erwin Lutzer called When a Nation Forgets God. This is the book. We do not have them in stock. I encourage you, you can go onto Amazon or on Apple, get the digital version and read this and share it. It's probably, I think at this point, it was written in 12 or 14, 2014. And so I'm going to quote from this today, and then I'm going to put what's going on in our nation. Whether it's Nazism, Marxism, or secularism, the state is always in conflict with religious freedom. And the more power the state has, the more laws it will pass to diminish the role of the church. So right now, from the beginning, I'm sorry, from the beginning, Hitler sought to marginalize the church to guarantee that no Christian influence would be allowed to inform or change government policy. Worship would have to be a private matter between a man and God. At all costs, the official state policy would have been based on humanistic principles to give Hitler the freedom to do what was, quote, best for Germany. Today, we hear this all over the place. We know what is best. Trust us. (laughs) Even though we lie and keep you afraid, we know what is best for you. I want you to hear this as I work through this document tonight with the time we have left. And I, I want to show you, because we don't seem to learn from history. I want, you to show, I want to show you how frightening it is that we are living in the 1930s in Germany. Now, you could add this to any other nation as well. You could add this to China or any other nation that is anti-God and is secular, be it Marxist, socialist, or communist. By the way... There's no difference. And Lenin would tell you that. By the way, they called it the socialist movement. They're communist. There is really no socialism. It's all Marxist or communist. Okay, let me get back. Don't focus. Hitler said that the churches must be forbidden from interfering with temporal matters or state matters, and that the state would have to be scrubbed clean of all Christian convictions and values. Since Germans had for centuries celebrated Christmas and Easter, Hitler had to reinterpret their meanings. Christmas was turned into a total pagan festival. At least for the SS troops, its date was changed to December 21st, the date of the winter solstice. School prayers were banned. Carols and nativity plays were forbidden in schools. That doesn't happen today. 
1938, even the name Christmas was changed to Yuletide. Don't we have that today? Xmas, happy holidays, seasons, greetings. Don't get away with it. You tell them Merry Christmas. Crucifixes were eliminated from the classrooms, and Easter was turned into a holiday that heralded the arrival of spring. Again, today, all of that is realized in our society. If religion was tolerated, it had to be secularized so it would be compatible with the state's commitment to the greater good of a revived Germany. Most of the churches bowed to the cultural currents and endorsed the positive Christianity that was in line with government policies. He was willing to give churches freedom, Hitler said. Listen, as long as they did not do anything subversive to the state, today, why not just have online services? That should be enough, right? He assured them that he was doing what was best for Germany. Of course, what was best would be defined by him. Isn't it funny that the definitions are always defined by somebody else and not us? Again, not by the churches, not by the Bible, not even by natural law. Hitler Hitler responded to the opposition of the church in the same way all Hostile governments respond to those who disagree with them. He created a flurry of new laws, and he accused pastors and church leaders of breaking them. Today we have mandates and even laws in states that, cre- that have been created and have created an undue burden upon the churches, which is illegal by the Constitution. The Constitution says you cannot pass something that puts an undue burden upon the church. Anybody? It's happening. Let's keep going. Oh, it's going to get better. The voice of courageous Christians had to be silenced. God had to be removed to make way for the national socialistic policies, or as we know them today, progressivism. It's the same thing. Don't let them fool you. I'm going to get to those people who are having a nice little convention right now. Oh, you go. I will. Today, the government says we're not living. We're not loving our neighbors. They are using scripture against the church. Specifically, the charges against the pastors in Germany of this day were abuse of the pulpit. And they were charged with speaking with malicious and provocative criticism of a kind, they said, calculated to undermine the confidence of the people and the political leaders. He had involved himself with matters, they said, that were only the concern of the state. You stay out of the state matters, church, pastors. The pastors had also violated a new law 
called the Prevention of the Treacherous Attacks on the State and on the Party. That's a long name for a law. For speaking out, the pastor and his crime was simply preaching what he believes his people should hear. This pastor, I'm sorry, I didn't even say that. Let me say that. Nine Moeller, this was one of the pastors along with Bonhoeffer. These two men were the two critical leaders in, the, in this German uh, refusal to bow uh, to what the, the Nazi um, government wanted. So, uh, nine, what was his name? Nine Moeller had violated these laws. And his, again, let me get back to that. And his crime was simply preaching what he believed his people wanted, uh, should hear, not wanted to hear, but needed to hear. And he was sentenced to prison. And then they confined him to a concentration camp, ending in Dachau, where he remained until he was liberated by the Allied troops. Today, our crime is wanting to be together as the body of Christ. Isn't that sad? That's our crime. And daring to challenge the so-called experts. Plenty of doctors in this nation disagree with the party line, but it doesn't matter. Because they can't get by the censorship of the media and social media. We'll get into that in a minute. Hitler always said the best way to conquer your enemy is to divide them. Today, not only is our nation divided over race, but now over churches that open and the ones that don't. They're masters at what they're doing. They are following a playbook that worked. I hope that you see that. We are reliving a time that is never taught in our school systems. Oh, a politician in Chicago said that we are suspending teaching history until we can write one that better suits our students. What? Today, not only is our nation divided over race, but now churches that are open and the ones that are not. Hitler encouraged a movement simply called, oh, these words they use, God believers. He was willing to use the word of God as long as it was emptied of all of its essential meaning. A policy designed to persuade individuals, listen, to withdraw from the churches. That was his goal, to get people to pull themselves out of church. Today, the church is called a non-essential part of society. You don't have to go. The government tells us that. If you were a good little citizen, you wouldn't be sitting here right now. Oh, it gets better. I only have 65 more pages to go. And so it was that secularism was imposed on the German people. The role of the church was minimized by privatizing faith and instituting laws that could be not, uh, I'm sorry, uh, that, let me do that again. By privatizing faith and instituting laws about what could and could not be said from the pulpit. That hasn't happened yet. 
but it is coming to a church near you. Soon they will tell us what we can say and what we can't say. They already kind of do that by the Johnson Act that says that we cannot tell you who to vote for. But there are plenty of churches in the United States of America that are on a different cultural aspect, and they get to say it all day long. But I am forbidden from telling you how to vote. (laughs) So in a sense, they do silence me. Maybe not for long. Religious leaders who opposed the secular steamroller were intimidated by threats to their family and their friends. The Germans and the Soviet Union, Romania, they were masters at this. You know what they would do? They wouldn't arrest you. They would arrest your entire family, all your co-workers at your bakery, and your 4-H club. (laughs) And they would torture every one of them to get you to stop. In California, the church where Pastor Rob is at, they're threatening to give the congregation tickets instead of Rob. Although, Rob will get his. It's coming. Again, we want to pray for him on Friday. With God and religion removed from the government, the value of Hitler's secularism or progressivism, as we know it today, filled a vacuum. So the church is gone, right? They've removed them. Well, what happens? It's filled with secularism, humanism, Marxism, socialism, every ism, right? Today, Marxist progressivism is filling the vacuum left by the church. And the result, which is ignored by the media and the government... Crime is sky high. Lawlessness, sky high. Mental depression, suicide, violence, and a just disregard for for laws. There's a town called Portland. Anybody know of it? It may or may not be burned down by this time. I don't know. Seattle, Minnesota. What happens when you remove the church influence? And you replace it with an ism. This is what you get. But you're not going to hear that. Take God and the church out. Don't be shocked by the results. But they don't care. It's done by design. And that party that is currently having their convention is proving my point every night by not pointing it out. The church would also increasingly become the enemy of the state eventually in Germany. Keep in mind that all this happened under code words such as freedom and peace and fairness. Today, the key words are safety and health. Those are the two key words. Think about how fast America gave up their rights for these two key words safety, and health that may or may not have been what they've told us it was. 
the people were assured that these changes were made for their best interest. The greater good of Germany eclipsed individual freedoms and the right to oppose. So all their Facebook and Twitter and YouTube videos were banned. Anyone was expected, I'm sorry, everyone was expected to be in sync with the accepted cultural values and goals. Those who opposed the regime paid a high price. Hate speech is defined as it is simply stating an opinion that the government thinks should not be expressed. Hitler. Does that sound like today? As the state encroached on the liberties of the German people, the spiritual sphere continued to shrink and the freedoms were curtailed. Statism. The notion that there is no power above the state to which it must be subject will always work towards diminishing individual freedoms. No one is able to run and hide. Okay, I'm not even giving you the the portion of the indoctrination in the schools tonight. I am giving you the first chapter of that book. Bits and pieces of it. I just pulled them all out. Do you know why the government schools teach, and they are government schools, has nothing to do with public. They're government schools run by government officials with a government agenda. Why do they teach them collectivism? It's the same thing. I don't even, uh, if I had time, I would give you all the quotes that Hitler said about the youth. Give me the youth and I'll give you a nation. Why do we do the same thing? Statism, someone has said, (laughs) is the golden calf of the modern world. How did that turn out? Neimler, again, Neimoller, I'm sorry, in early 1934, mounted the pulpit of his church in Berlin and prophetically declared God's purpose in the trials that faced the German church. And it speaks well of our time. Please hear this quote. He said, we have, all of us, the whole church and the whole community, we have been thrown into the tempter's sieve. You know what a sieve is? put flour in it, you shake the little thingy in it. Google it. <laughs> S-I-E-V-E. Just so you... It says, we have been thrown into the tempter's sieve, and he is shaking, and the wind is blowing, and it must now become manifest whether we are wheat or chaff. Verily, a time of sifting has come upon us. And even in the midst of indolent and peaceful person among us must see the calm of the meditative Christianity is at an end. It is now a springtime for the hopeful and the expected Christian church. This is our testing time. And God is giving Satan a free hand so that he may shake us up 
so that it may be seen what manner of men and women we are. Satan swings his, his sieve and Christianity is thrown hither and thither. And he who is not ready to suffer, he who calls himself a Christian only because he thereby hopes to gain something good for his race and his nation, is blown away like chaff by the wind of time. Pretty heavy, isn't it? Prophetically, 1934. He knew what was coming. And he spent the rest, namely a revolution that would send them down a different path. The most striking success of a revolution, he wrote, Hitler, will always have been achieved when a new philosophy of life, as far as possible, has been taught to all men and, if necessary, forced upon them. Yes, what begins as information turns out to become law of the land or a mandate. And woe to those who dare to oppose the law. Hate, he said, more lasting than dislike, if portrayed the Germans as victims and the Jews as victimizers, hatred would fuel his new agenda. Today we are told that the church is the problem in spreading COVID. Not Walmart or Home Depot, not casinos, and not even abortion clinics. It is those evil, not loving their neighbor Christians. They're the problem. Do you see that the playbook is being followed to the letter? Demonized, set apart a group of people. Oh, pastor, it, it, could, it could get better. Oh, it could. If good people stand up, if every church in America stands up and opens up, but they won't, and they'll go down the same path of these churches in Germany. In Hitler's Germany, the people were to see and to hear only what the government wanted them to hear. The Nazis censored film production. I know this is shocking. Textbooks, really? to be used in the schools. Books that did not match the Nazi ideology were burned and were outlawed. Today, YouTube and Facebook and Twitter does the banning for the government. The Congress just had a hearing on this. Did anybody see this? A couple of weeks ago. Yeah, of course you didn't see it. A couple of weeks ago, they brought in all of the big tech guys, Facebook, Twitter, you know, all of those, all the Twitter, everybody was in front of them. And they didn't call them out on the blanket hatred and bias that all of them do. Why? Because they're doing exactly what the government wants them to do. How dare you have a doctor on your YouTube channel say that masks don't work? We're the experts. By the way, we've been posting a bunch of new stuff on our Facebook page. Encourage you to watch them before they get banned so you can be informed. Guys, censorship is everywhere, everywhere um, but not in the progressive Marxist movement. 
Children's picture books demean the Jews and emphasize the glory of the Aryan race. And it worked. Of course, any skilled propagandist knows the masses should never be told the end game. That is where the leader or the government actually intends to take the people. Like forced vaccinations. Against your will. Oh, every once in a while they let something out. The masses must not be frightened, although it's kind of reversed today. They love to frighten us. But let me keep reading him. It says, the masses must not be frightened, but reassured that all proposals are for their good. The seamier parts of their agenda should not be revealed. If they must be, they must be cast in a familiar and friendly term. Today we know the end game, that of a a one-world government. One voice, one currency, one religion, and one final leader. See, we have the Bible. We know what they're doing. Hitler believed also in cultural movements. Did you know that? He would be a part of social justice today. He believed, by the way, if I hear another reference to us being part of the Nazi party without, by the way, You always know what the other party is doing when they're screaming that very thing in which they are calling you. They're doing that very thing, which I'd love to send this to them. They'll never listen to it. Why don't I ever get invited to conventions? Hmm. Hitler believed in cultural movements. He believed that many people would never change their mind individually. Listen to this next part. Hold on with me. We're almost done. But they would do so if they were in a crowd of several thousand. Hitler knew that individuals wouldn't wouldn't change their mind, but if they were in a group. And so he says, when a seeker steps in, don't you love that, how he calls them a seeker? Boy, that kind of sounds biblical, doesn't it? When a seeker steps into a crowd of thousands, wrote Hitler, that seeker is swept away into the mighty effects of the suggestive intoxication and enthusiasm when the visible success of the agreement of thousands confirmed to him the right of the new doctrine. What did I just say? When somebody marches with those who are marching, they get caught up in the whole thing and they just want a new convert. This is Hitler in the 1930s telling us what's going on in Minnesota and Portland right now. You're never going to hear this. Sadly, you're not going to hear this in churches. (laughs) Talking to Christian today, we, we might not hear this on YouTube either. They might take it off. You ever heard the old adage? The nail that stands out gets pounded down. Hitler believed in that. Hitler said that the doubters are convinced when they find themselves as a minority in the midst of a zealous majority. This is getting tossed around a lot. I want to read that again. Hitler said the doubters are convinced when they find themselves as a minority in the midst of a zealous majority, such as experiences caused the doubter to succumb 
to the magical influences of what we designate as mass suggestion. So you've got mass hysteria and mass suggestion that's happening on the streets. No one is thinking for themselves. Everything that's happening today is planned. No wonder Hitler said, how fortunate for governments that the people they administer don't think. That's where we are. Today, people are afraid to stand out and speak their mind. A brand new study, and this came out like two days ago, said over 60% of Americans are afraid to speak their mind for fear of retribution and shaming or bullying or outright lies or threats or even violence from those who claim to be the most caring and the most compassionate people. Did you hear that? Most Americans are afraid to say anything because the other side of the aisle will bully them and violently, can you believe it? Can you believe the violence that's going on? Any, any Christians out there tearing up a town yet? If they are, you're stupid. That's just me. But we're not doing that, are we? I was telling my wife the other day, Marxism and communism never care, please listen to this, about how many people they kill as long as they stay in power. We are only now learning how many people would have been saved by medicine and COVID if they were only allowed to have the medicine. You need to hear this. Governments have killed people in our country because they wouldn't give them a drug that would save them. Let me read that first part again. Marxism and communism never cares how many people they kill. And there's a governor in New York that's a star because he sent COVID people into a nursing home that all died. But he's the hero at a convention. Do you see how literally insane we are living? They are praising that governor who should be locked up and himself held for treason or against his own people. I'm sure no one knows about that because it's all over the media, right? Or not. Anyone who swims against the stream is demonized by misrepresentations, false evidence, and ridicule. With such pressure, even rational and decent people who refuse to be co-opted begin to question their own sanity. Can they alone be right when everyone's wrong? Have you ever wondered why so many German people went along with what happened in Germany? I'm sure there were good, decent people that lived there. How were they swept up in such fury? You tell a lie long enough, and people believe it. 
Bonhoeffer warned Germany about Hitler when he was declared Chancellor of Germany, but no one listened because they yearned for a strong leader who would lead them to prosperity. Today, people are giving up liberty for so-called safety and health. All they're thinking, well, all the while not thinking or reasoning for their own self. All they want is safety. And yet, all of the data that's now coming out is telling us it wasn't that big. Oh, yes, it was a big deal for a certain population, but why in the world are we closing things when the other population isn't affected by it? Why is Norway doing so well and we are not? They never closed. They had herd immunity. They knew that the populace needed to get it. And they told people who had pre-existing conditions or health issues to stay away. But they kept their economy open and their schools open. So... The people closed their eyes to Hitler's excesses, warning signs, and they were overlooked because of the passion of the people just to believe that government wouldn't lie to them. And once the cultural current was winding and flowing with an increased speed, I see this right now, anyone swimming upstream was deemed subversive. As Richard Tarot wrote, Create a critical mass of people who cannot discern meaning and truth from nonsense, and you will have a society ready to fall for the first charismatic leader to come along. Is that not huge or what? Get a society that's stupid and doesn't question authority. And that's what you get. Today, we just want to be safe at any cost, even closing our minds to facts and logic, even going against our own laws and of the First Amendment. Hitler, you will recall, said that it was necessary to go beneath national, I'm sorry, rational arguments and tap into the emotion of the audience. Today, we act on emotion. Even within the church, there are churches who are wholly given over to BLM, I will not call them by name, and social justice. Both of them of which they betrayed the people. This is one of the last quotes. And it's interesting who it comes from. Here are the words of Albert Einstein, exiled from Germany for being a Jew. He said, being a lover of freedom when the Nazi revolution came, I, I looked to the universities to defend it knowing that they would always or have always boasted of their devotion to the cause of truth. But no, he says, the university took refuge in silence. Well, then I looked to the great editors of the newspapers who flaming editorials in days gone by had proclaimed their love of freedom. But they, like the universities, were silence in a few short weeks. Well, then I addressed myself to the authors and those who had passed themselves off as intellectual guides of Germany and among whom were frequently discussed the question of freedom and its place in modern life. They, in turn, <laughs> I love it, were dumb. Only the church 
stood squarely across the path of Hitler. He said, I never had a special interest in, in the church before, but now I feel a great affection and an admiration for it because the church alone had the courage and the persistence to stand for intellectual truth and moral freedom. I am forced to confess that what I once despised, I now praise unreservedly. Albert Einstein wasn't a believer. Again, we're often too critical of the church in the Nazi era, but Einstein knew that the church gave Hitler the only significant opposition he had. The church might have not done all that it should or all that it could do, but it did do something. In the final analysis, there were heroes in Germany, and there were many who took the risk to withstand the moral corrupt, the moral corruption of an evil empire known as the Nazi regime. So today, what do we do in the church? How do we take a stand like Bonhoeffer? I leave you with the most compelling reason not to obey the current message from the government about not gathering together. The government tells us to stay at home and to practice your religion in private. So please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. And I do apologize for the lateness of the hour. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. I mean, you guys just had to sit here. I had to talk the whole time. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the matter of some, but exhorting one another. Please note this last portion. We always quote the first portion of the verse. Notice the last portion. And so much the more as you see the day, let me paraphrase, the day of Christ approaching. Do you see what the writer is telling us? He's telling us not to forsake the assembly. This is why I will not close again. I will not fear or be dominated or be dictated as to what the church should do. I have been given orders from my commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ, to build up others in the body of Christ by showing up. Even more now, as the verse says, as the day of Christ is approaching. I will be respectful and show the love of Jesus, but I will only bow to my Lord God and not the Lord God of government. The church should be civil disobedient when the government goes beyond the bounds of the Bible. 
regardless of what anyone else says. I gave you proof tonight by God's word, and I gave you proof from history, and we are stupid if we don't heed the time of Germany. I I don't even have time to get into China, North Korea. You name a country, we could have done that tonight. Well, read ahead. Lord willing for next week, the rest of Titus 3, and we'll see what the Apostle Paul wants for us as the church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your powerful word, Lord, that allows us to have an understanding of what is going on in our world today. Lord, that you equip us. Lord, we're so thankful for your word that it equips us. It strengthens us. It allows us not to fear. Why? Because we know what the end game is. All of this is pressing forward to, all of this is lining up for not only your return, but for judgment upon this world. And we pray, Lord, if you tarry, wonderful. But allow us to stand up against those who would remove that which you gave us in 1776. This is a blessed nation. This is a nation wholly given to us by you. Endowed by our creator with inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Let us not be like the people in Germany. Let us not be like the churches who listened to the trains that went by their churches filled with Jews going to the concentration camp and said nothing. That we would stand up in the midst of our generation that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the church is the body of Christ that comes together to lift one another up, to help one another. Lord, that you would empower us like Peter and John, that you would give us the boldness, that you would shake our very presence. You you would shake the church and wake the church up. Give the strength to these pastors to stand in the midst, to stand like Daniel to stand like these midwives in Exodus. You've blessed before, Lord, and we pray that you would do it again. Thank you for our time. Thank you for our church body. Thank you that we bring this message over the internet and over the radio, and you would allow us to continue to post these. And we pray for our brethren in California that you would strengthen Pastor Rob in their church. We love you, Lord. Maranatha, come get us quickly. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said,